And tonight we're going to talk uh, once more about the kingdom of God, you and the kingdom of God. How many of you know we've got a, a king and a kingdom? Yes. Amen? And, and most Christians, you know, if you were to give them a little test on something like this, um, would really, if, if you were to say, what's the kingdom of God? Tell me. Most wouldn't know how to answer that. Well, I think it's when I go to heaven. But no, there's so much more than that. So we're going to look tonight at some more aspects of the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for the word of God that is living and breathing and pulsating with life. This is not just any word, any book, Lord. It's your word. Now, Lord, speak to us. Illuminate us. Let the great teacher of the church, the Holy Spirit of God, come and be among us and speak to our hearts. And we thank you for it and bless you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And once again, if I have enough time at the end today, I'll take a question or two. So if you have a Bible question um, and that you've been wanting to ask that you wonder about, kind of bugs you a little bit or bugs you a lot, get ready. And I will share that uh, or try to answer that after we're done tonight if we have enough time. So let's just dig right in. I've been a Christian a long time. I've been preaching since I was 19. I started when I was a teenager. (sighs) Somebody asked Billy Graham one time, they said, what is the greatest surprise to life for you? What, What has surprised you more than anything else? He didn't even hesitate. He said, the brevity of life. That's been the biggest surprise. It went like that. And if you notice, the older you get, the faster it goes. Because you can't remember as much. (laughs) All right. But having read the Bible all these years, I I just feel like I'm, I'm just barely realizing some things. I'm always learning. I'm always learning the Word of God. It, it is, if we could be here a million years, we would not fully plumb its depths. All right, now, let's just read the key verse. Matthew six thirty three. You know it. Say it with me. But seek first, what everybody? The kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Now, I ask you, how can you seek something if you don't know what it is? Jesus said... Let me give you a number one priority in life. Seek first, not second, third, fourth, last, not by default, not when you've got time, but seek first the kingdom of God. Well, if I'm going to seek it, I got to know what it is. And most, like I said, most Christians are pretty clueless. And I was for a long time. Now, why is the kingdom of God so important? Well, here's why. The kingdom of God is the top theme of the New Testament. Now, that might be news to you, but I'm going to prove it. The kingdom of God, that phrase, and, and what it's talking about, is the top theme of New Testament emphasis. The kingdom of God. Let me show you how we know that. We pointed out that the first sermon of the entire New Testament was from John the Baptist, who said, repent because the kingdom of heaven has come near. Same thing as kingdom of God. Kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven are simultaneous. They're synonyms. They're interchangeable. So he could have easily said, repent because the kingdom of God has come near. 
So that's the first thing out of John's mouth, repent. Why should I repent, John? Because the kingdom of God has come near. Then the beginning of of the ministry of Jesus was characterized by the very same message. From then on, Jesus began to preach, repent, because the kingdom of heaven has come near. So it goes from John to Jesus, they have the same message. It begins with repent. Why should I repent? Because something has happened. Something has shifted. There has been a paradigm shift. Something has arrived that gives you all the reason in the world to consider the sins of your life and repent. The kingdom of God has come near. And Jesus' ministry emphasis on the kingdom ended exactly the same way. The last thing Jesus said before ascending into heaven, here's what he said. After he has suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about what, everyone? So Jesus began by calling people to repentance because the kingdom of God had drawn near. And the last thing he taught them before he went back to heaven was about the kingdom of God. The main theme of New Testament emphasis is the kingdom of God. Paul continued this emphasis. It says, Acts 19, verse 8, Then he entered, that is Paul, the synagogue, and he spoke boldly uh, over a period of three months, engaging in discussion and trying to persuade them about the things related to what everyone, the kingdom of God. So when Paul would go into his synagogue and talk to these lost Jewish men, what would he do? He would, he would begin to talk about, from the scriptures, the kingdom of God. Well, what did he say? What did he say about the kingdom of God? Because he apparently considered that topic to be the key that unlocked the door to get them into Jesus. Jesus taught about the kingdom of God in lots of other passages. Let me just give you a few by way of um, recapping. Jesus said in Matthew 12, 28, If I drive out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. It is easier, Jesus said in Matthew 19, 24, for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter where? The kingdom of God. Jesus said in Matthew 13, 11, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, same thing, have been given for you to know, but it has not been given to them, to the the mass crowds. So there you go again, interchangeably, kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God, are the emphasis of Jesus, John the Baptist, the Apostle Paul, and the New Testament writers. Jesus said in Mark 14, 25, I assure you I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in a new way in the kingdom of God. Luke 4, 43, when the crowds tried to keep Jesus from going to other cities, watch this, this really intrigued me. When they tried to stop him because they wanted to keep him because it was free bread, right? He's multiplying bread and fish, and they're on a ride here, all right? Mr. Provision. But it says when they tried to keep him, he said this to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. For I was sent for this purpose. What purpose? To preach. To preach what? The kingdom of God and the things pertaining thereto. 
when he sent the 70 out. He gave them a message. This is their first outing, ministry outing, all right? They're hitting the streets. And twice, two times, Jesus told them to declare, the kingdom of God has come near you. That was their evangelistic message. The kingdom of God has come near you. Wake up. Something has arrived that wasn't here before. And it's the kingdom of God. And they went out preaching that, teaching that, expounding on that. Again, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, interchangeable. You find that kingdom of heaven, that phrase, is only found in Matthew. It's not found in Mark, Luke, John, only Matthew. But it means the same thing. Uh, The book of Matthew is written to Jewish people. Jewish people were very, very cautious about even using the name of God. So that's probably why Matthew decided to not use the name God many times and replace it with heaven. But it's the same thing. I can show you verses where Jesus said kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God in the same verse. So they're the same thing. Well, then what in the world is it? If they went and taught it, preached it, declared it, proclaimed it, expounded on it, harped on it, majored on it, then what is it? Well, we can make it real simple and start here. The word kingdom implies there's a king. All right? We can start there. That's basic. The word kingdom implies a king. If there's no king, there's no kingdom. And the kingdom of God has a king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and his name is Jesus Christ. Jesus is called a king. Pilate looked at him and said, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, it's as you say. You got that right. I am a king. And he was not being a megalomaniac. He was not psychotic. He wasn't crazy. He hadn't lost his mind. He said, no, I am a king. But my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom was of this world, I would call on my soldiers and they would rescue me right now from you. But since my kingdom is not of this world, I'm not going to do that because I'm the king of another world. And I came to bring that kingdom to earth. All right? Very important. So any kingdom has a king. Our kingdom, kingdom of God, has a king. Second, according to Jesus, the kingdom of God has already come, all right? And will come in its fullness when he returns to earth in the second advent. He's coming back. And when he comes back, he's landing on the Mount of Olives. And the Bible says the Mount of Olives will cleave east to west, and Jesus will commence with a judgment. We call it the judgment of the nations. He will call all the nations before him. And what does he do? He separates the sheep from the goats, the lost from the found. And he executes justice and judgment right there. And that's not the great white throne judgment. That comes after the thousand-year reign of Christ on earth. But he, he first, in the second advent, he comes to set in kingdom rule in the millennial reign of Christ. And that is where... He will rule the world with a rod of righteousness and a rod of authority. And the lion will lay down with the lamb and there will be no more fighting, no more war, no more nothing. Because now the king of the kingdom is ruling the earth. 
He's not going to be a Democrat. He's not going to be a Republican. He's not going to be a Libertarian. He's not going to be a politician at all. Uh-uh. Uh, he's, he's coming because he's coming to rule. He's coming to reign. He's coming to establish his righteousness by the decree of God. So how has the kingdom of God already come? It's come in the person of Jesus Christ himself. When asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus said this. They said, okay, you're a king. When is the kingdom coming? He said, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that you can observe, nor will people say, here it is, or there it is, because the kingdom of God is already in your midst. It's already here. Well, they were going, well, how is it already here? And he might as well have said, well, because the king of the kingdom is staring at you. The king of the kingdom is answering your question. So the kingdom of God had already come in a measure. Are you with me, everybody? Not fully, but in a measure with the appearance of Jesus Christ. But that's not the only way the kingdom of God advances in the earth. All right? God's kingdom also enters the world through you and me and the church, universal. All right? Uh, Jesus said, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth. So shine and make people thirsty for me, like salt does. All right? You're the light of the world. So let your works be seen of men that they may glorify uh, your Father who is in heaven. Okay? Now, the kingdom of God came initially through Christ, but then Christ birthed his church. And through the church, the kingdom advances. Amen? No church, no advancement of the kingdom of God. The church advances. Uh, Jesus said, I give you the keys of the kingdom. I give you the keys of the kingdom. And he said, as you advance, the gates of hell will not be able to withstand you. Because you're marching forward in my name and in my anointing and my authority. And you are going to advance the rule and presence of the kingdom of God. That's the purpose of the church. It's not to have bingo on a Thursday night. It's not to have potluck dinners all week long and get fat. No, the purpose of the church is to advance the kingdom. It's to advance the kingdom. Amen? Because we are kingdom citizens and we're to advance the kingdom of which we are citizens. Paul said, the kingdom of God is not a matter of what you eat or drink. That's not how the kingdom of God is advanced, by observing different rules and regulations. No. But it's of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As Christians live lives of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit, guess what? The, the kingdom is advanced. It's spread. We're all to be infectious. We're all to be contagious. With what? With him. Now, Jesus taught us to pray. They, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. He said, okay. And he gave six points in his prayer. The last one was this, or, or, or one of them was this. Pray this way, thy kingdom come. And how does it come? Thy will be done. 
So we learn right there that one of the key characteristics of the kingdom, how do you know the kingdom is there? It's when God's will is being done. God's will being done advances the kingdom. And we're not talking about rules and regulations, but God's will is done when we obey him and we share the gospel. We live clean lives. We pray. We, we bear fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, kindness, faith, self-control, all those things that are fruits of the Spirit. The more we grow the fruit of the Spirit, produce the fruit of the Spirit, the more the kingdom is spread. So, bottom line, advancing the kingdom of God should be the front burner business of every church and every Christian and every Christian undertaking to advance the kingdom of God. Are you with me, everybody? I'll tell you what, sometimes I wish I'd preach this on a Sunday instead of a, I mean, I love being here on Wednesday nights, but this, this gets me cranked. We, we got to get down to, why are we here? We're here to advance the kingdom of God. We're not here to look at somebody's new suit or new dress or to sit around and, and, and you know, just focus only on God blessing us with this, that, and the other. No, we are to be exporters of the kingdom of God. Amen. And so, and that means you, that means me, that means us, that means the whole church everywhere. That's our business. Now, I want to point out something that I didn't cover last time, and it's this. How is the kingdom of God primarily spread now that Jesus has gone into heaven? How is it advanced primarily? All right. Um, the kingdom of God has a spearhead. All right, and that spearhead is the gospel. It's the gospel. Now, follow me carefully. How does the church penetrate the dark world out there? How does the church primarily advance the kingdom of God? Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to, that's evangelism, teaching them to observe everything I taught you, that's discipleship. All right? So the first word in the Great Commission is go. Go where? Into all the world. With what? The gospel. The gospel is the spearhead. It is how we advance it's how we make headway. It's how we bring down strongholds. It's how we break the devil's chains. It's the gospel. Come on, everybody. That's why Satan is so busy with trying to take the gospel out of the mouths of churches all over the West. We're all about, oh, God wants you rich. God wants you prospering. God wants you this and that. And, and it's rare, more and more, if, if you actually hear, repent, for Christ died for you and rose from the dead, and you must be born again. If you ever want to see the kingdom of God, and when we take God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes on him would not perish, but of everlasting life. That is the 
spearhead. There's nothing. Oh, oh man. The gospel is the means by which God's kingdom penetrates the world. It's the gospel. It's the gospel. Because, watch this, when people are saved, their hearts are transformed. Okay? And when their hearts are transformed, the world is changed. All right? The world was changed. How, how much of your world was changed when you got saved? <laughs> right? I mean, you were carting around a whole lot of darkness. And you were doing all kinds of things that spread another kingdom, the kingdom of darkness. You were exporting the kingdom of darkness, and so was I. But when I got saved, I switched kingdoms. And watch this. And I began to export another kingdom. And I began to talk about another king. And, and, and darkness began to subside and give way to the light that came into me when Jesus transformed me and saved my soul. So, but it all happened by me hearing the gospel sitting in a juvenile home when I was 16 years old. I heard the gospel and the spearhead struck my heart. Listen to Paul. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Am I? Are you? He says, let me tell you why I'm not ashamed of it. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation it brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Now catch this now. What is the gospel? It, it contains the power of God. To do what? To literally transform a life. One commentator says this. Listen to these commentators. Sometimes they say things really good. Watch this. One commentator, a power, quote, a powerful agency put forth by God himself, the lever, as it were, by which he would move the world is the gospel. Here's another one. He writes, in Paul's mind, Rome was high in force and power. Athens was even higher, but the cross was highest of all. And yet it came shrouded in weakness, having a poor man hanging, dying there. That's a strange embodiment of divine power, yes, and because so strange, it is so touching and so conquering. I've noticed, I've preached a long time, and I've noticed I can be preaching along and feeling real good and, and bringing a, a good word, but as soon as I mention the cross and the Savior bleeding and dying on it, something else happens in the room. Yeah, you can feel it. Another element enters the room. When I talk about that Savior bleeding and dying on the tree, on the cross, for you and for me. And, when I, when, and I try with every, I don't always succeed, but almost every time I do, to weave the cross into my messages. I'm going to get it in there somehow. Because when you talk about the cross, it's, it contains the power of God to, to wind its way, to penetrate a heart and open it up and expose its sin and bring them to the foot of the cross where that man, Jesus, bled and died for your sins and mine.
And when you start talking about that, a, a, a silence comes on the room that wasn't there before. Because it goes straight to our heart. Are you with me tonight? All right. Billy Graham was preaching a crusade once. And it was in his early years. And all kinds of people were coming. You know, he preached in Madison Square Garden for weeks and weeks. Every single solitary night. He got to the place where he was calling friends and saying, I'm desperate for a sermon. Do you have one? He was just wrung dry. But the crowds kept coming. And one night, very few came. And he was all dejected, went back to his hotel room and said, man, what in the world? Is, is the revival over? Is the crusade over? And I think it was either George Beverly Shea or Cliff Barrows, who were his traveling companions. Uh, one of them said to him, Billy, can I be honest? Yeah. He said, Billy, you didn't mention the cross tonight. He said, I didn't? I said, no, you talked about Jesus, but you didn't mention the cross. And you always mention the cross. You didn't mention the cross. And they didn't come. The power of the cross. I got to read one more commentator. The gospel is the way in which God exerts his power in the salvation of people. It's the efficacious or mighty plan by which power goes forth to save and by which all the obstacles of man's redemption are taken away. Everything standing in the way of them getting saved is stripped away by the power of the message of the gospel. So the gospel is two things. It's both a lifesaver thrown to men, drowning in sin, and it's also a wrecking ball that smashes to pieces all of their arguments against coming to Christ. Paul said, it's true, I'm an ordinary, weak human being. Thank you, Paul, for being honest. I'm an ordinary, weak human being. I don't use human, human plans and methods to win my battles. I use God's mighty weapons, not those made by men, to knock down the devil's strongholds. And what are they? What's a stronghold? Listen to this. These weapons can break down every proud argument. That's a stronghold. Evolution is a stronghold. Evolution is an argument. Many things are arguments against coming to Christ and every wall that can be built to keep men from finding him, the weapons of my warfare demolish them. And with these weapons, I can capture rebels and bring them back to God and change them into men whose heart's desire is, is obedience to Christ. And when you get a, a man or a woman whose heart's desire is now obedience to Christ, you have advanced the kingdom of God. I want to come start approaching the close in, in, in a little bit with, with a further thought. Every time somebody is saved, the kingdom of God is advanced. That person changes teams, changes allegiances, changes lifestyles, changes kingdoms, and changes kings. It's radical. Right? Listen to Paul's description of what happens when you and I got saved. Let me describe to you now what happened. Watch this. Here's what happened when you said, Jesus, forgive me. Here's what happened. Ready? For he, God, rescued us. 
and has drawn us to himself from the dominion of darkness and has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Do you hear the word kingdom in there? Dominion and kingdom? Now watch. Let me take a couple of these words. The word rescued is from a Greek word meaning to deliver or to snatch away from danger or destruction. You ever seen somebody saved from a house fire or saved from a burning automobile? I was watching a YouTube the other day. There was this terrible wreck and this car caught on fire and there was somebody in it. And how these two cops risked life and limb and being burned to get into this burning car. There was a woman, just a woman alone, and, and she was trapped and she couldn't get out and, and it was going up in flames and they smashed out the windows. Then the seat belt was keeping her from being pulled out. And they had to cut the seat belt and all these different things. And they pulled her out and dragged her to the side of the road right before it. Kaboom! Same idea. He rescued you. But not just from a burning car, from a burning hell. Amen? Are you with me? Jesus, in his closing sentence of the Lord's Prayer, he said, you pray this way. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us, rescue us from the evil one. Now, here's the way it could read. Deliver us, snatch us away from the power, the schemes, the tactics, and the traps of Satan, the evil one. That's how it could read. I pray this almost every day. I pray today, Lord, I know I've got an enemy and I know that I'm, I'm where Paul was. I'm just a weak human being filled with the Spirit of God. But, hey, I'm just a man. You know, a man of God is a man first. A woman of God is a woman first. And, and so I just pray every day. Now, Lord, today, Satan is out to get me. I know it. He's out to get you. If you didn't know that, can I just give you a newsflash tonight? He wants to take all of us out. Silence us. So you got to know that. So you got to pray every day, Lord, today, keep me from the traps, snares, schemes, plots, and plans of Satan. Protect me. Watch over me. Guard me. Guide me. Don't let me find myself in a place that would, uh, where I might be particularly vulnerable. No, keep me as the apple of your eye and in the hollow of your hand. I pray it every day. Now, I want you to notice, Paul said, we're delivered out of, I want you to say this with me, I'm delivered out of the dominion or the control of darkness. What happened when you got saved? You didn't just get heaven bound. Something happened here and now. You got delivered, so did I, from the dominion and the control of darkness. And I wasn't just taken out, I was taken in because I was translated into a brand new kingdom, the kingdom of God, all right? And that happened in the here and now, that happened instantly. We were delivered out of one thing so we could be brought into a new thing. It struck me as I read this that I had just read something like this in the Old Testament in my daily Bible reading where Moses said to Israel, he's he's not lecturing, but he's teaching Israel. He's saying this, he, God, brought us out from Egypt that he might bring us in 
to Canaan. He brought us out to bring us in. He took us from to bring us to. Are you with me, everybody? God doesn't just deliver you and leave you standing there. Well, you're delivered. Have a great life. No. He he takes you out so he can bring you in. He takes you out of something bad, brings you into something good. Takes you out of something dark and brings you into something light. Brings you out of hell to bring you into heaven. We were delivered literally from the power and the kingdom of darkness that he might bring us into the kingdom of God. Now I'm going to close with this one last truth. Are you ready? This is good. You need to get this. All Christians need to get this. We're no longer under Satan's jurisdiction. When it says he took me out, I'm, I'm, I got about 10 more minutes. I'm sorry. I, I'm terrible with these worship leaders. I lead them astray. I, I tell them I'm about to end and they don't know I mean 10 minutes from now I'll end and they go up there and God bless him. But you're alert and, and I appreciate that. All right. Now watch this. Most Christians don't understand. You say, you know, Jesus, oh yeah, I'm going to heaven. But what else happened when you got saved? Oh, I don't know. Uh, the Holy Spirit came into me. Yeah, he, he did. Well, what else happened? Well, I got peace. Yeah. What else happened? Here's what happened. You were taken out of the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. You were removed from a kingdom. The kingdom of darkness. That's what the Bible calls it. You were removed from it. You, you, you were taken out of that kingdom. And when God took you out, he also took you out from under the jurisdiction of the kingdom of darkness. Now, what is jurisdiction? It's a territory or a sphere over which the legal authority of a court or other institution extends. So let me make it simple. When you're under a town, a city, or a nation's jurisdiction, it has the legal power to bring you under its laws and demands. You've got to obey the laws of that place if you're under its jurisdiction. You've got to say, yes, sir, unless you want to go to jail. If you break a, a, a nation's laws, then this nation, for instance, American law enforcement, has the legal power to arrest and punish you. All right? Why? Because you broke the laws of the jurisdiction. And they have authority over you as long as you're under their jurisdiction. We've all seen shows where something happens in one town and, and maybe the police from another town start to get involved and then they say this to themselves, well, well we, we really can't because this isn't our jurisdiction. We can't exercise our authority in this town because it's not our jurisdiction. If it was our town, we could do it. But since it's not, we, we, we can't exercise the authority of law in this jurisdiction because it's not ours. We only have authority in this town. As an American, I'm subject to American laws. If I break them, I go to jail. If I move to another country, I'm no longer under America's jurisdiction. Okay? I'm not under America. I'm under the jurisdiction of wherever I go. When we were lost under the kingdom of darkness's jurisdictional control, when we were lost, we were under Satan's jurisdictional control. 
We had to do what the kingdom of darkness said. I can prove it to you. We had to obey the laws of that dark kingdom. Listen to Paul. Paul describes it this way. We all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Our behavior was governed by our sinful self, indulging the desires of human nature without the Holy Spirit and the impulses of the sinful mind. We were by nature children under the sentence of God's wrath, just like the rest of mankind. That's the way we were. That's the way we all lived. There were no exceptions. Because we were under the kingdom of darkness's jurisdictional authority and control. But now we're under a brand new jurisdiction. Are you ready? Please catch this. So that Satan can no longer come and say, you got to do this and you got to do that. You say, I love saying, no, uh, you're not in my jurisdiction anymore. You're, I'm not in your jurisdiction anymore. I'm not in the kingdom of darkness anymore. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me where to go. You can't tell me how to behave. You can't tell me how to think. You can't tell me nothing because I'm not under your control. I'm out from under the kingdom of darkness thoroughly. The United States Declaration of Independence was signed on July 4, 1776. What was it? It was 13 colonies saying to Britain, uh, we're independent of you now. You, Britain, can no longer tell us what to do because we're not under your jurisdiction anymore. We've started a new nation. So we are independent from you. We are freed from you. The Apostle Paul made declarations of independence all the time regarding our freedom from the kingdom of darkness. Listen to this one. Sin need never again be your master. Why? Because I'm not under sin's jurisdictional control anymore. For now you are no longer, I love this, now you are no longer tied to the law where sin enslaves you. But you are free under God's favor and mercy. Okay? That's a declaration of independence from Satan's jurisdiction. So part of kingdom life is to walk in the reality of kingdom truth. All right? So not only am I going to heaven, not only do I have the peace of God and peace with God and the peace of God, not only do I have the Holy Spirit living inside of me, but I'm in a brand new kingdom with brand new rules and brand new, a brand new king and a brand new citizens and a brand new home and a brand new people and a brand new everything. If any man be in Christ, the old is passed away. Amen. Amen. One more declaration of independence from Paul. Now you are free from the power of sin and are slaves of God. And his benefits to you include holiness and everlasting life. That's why I call this little mini-series, You and the Kingdom. Because every believer, all of us, have got to wake up and realize, okay, today... I'm living in the world, but I'm not of it. This world is not my home. The kingdom of darkness is not my kingdom. Satan's not my king. I've got a brand new kingdom, a brand new king, brand new rules for living, 
brand new liberties and, and freedoms I never had before in the kingdom of darkness. I'm living a brand new life. The old has passed away. I don't have to do anything the kingdom of darkness tells me to do. I have been liberated, set free. The chains are broken. I'm in a new kingdom. So I want us to put this last, there it is. I want us to read this verse out loud because this needs to be our resolve in light of kingdom truth. Are you ready? Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not be entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Amen, amen. All right. I think I have time for a couple of questions. Um, Brent is way back there. Does anybody have a question for me tonight? All right. Now, first of all, how many of you get that the gospel is the spearhead? That you know that this weekend we have two evangelistic groups going out. Uh, one with our SUM seminary. Uh, they're going to hit ten thousand homes with the spearhead. Oh, it's next week. That's right. It's next weekend. It's the ninth, eighth, and ninth. I know I'm here tonight. <laughs> it's the eighth and ninth. We're going to hit 10,000 homes with the group with SUM, and we're going to hit another huge swath of Fort Worth through taking Jesus to the streets um, with Charles Emmy and a group that's going out with him. Why are we doing that? Because we're going to advance the kingdom of God big time in one week. Amen? All right. Um, praise God. How many of you needed this, uh, this kingdom truth? Amen? Amen, amen. All right, let's take a couple of questions. Um, here's one way over here. Can you stand up, sir, and he'll get right to you, and I'm going to do my best to answer it. Amen. Uh, thank you. Um, I've always wondered this, and I believe I may have some of it right. I might be wrong. My question is about Melchizedek. Yeah. That... I believe he was the first priest that was mentioned in Genesis. And there's yes. usually a genealogy associated with priests in the Bible. Yes. So why is he so mysterious? And He's mysterious. Okay, Melchizedek is a real issue. You read about him in Hebrews and in Genesis. Abraham tithed to him. He's called the king of Salem. And I believe the first tithe was to Melchizedek. And um, so there's two... I hate to say theories, but there's two belief systems about him. Who was he? Because if you read the book of Hebrews, it says he has no beginning and he has no end. So the question is, was he Christ in human form in what we call a Christophany? A Christophany is when Jesus appeared in Old Testament times before he was born of the virgin, all right? Uh, the Immaculate Conception, before he came to earth as our Savior. Uh, it's called a Christophany. Uh, all kinds of Christophanies happen in the Old Testament. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the burning fiery oven. Suddenly there's the fourth man. And even Nebuchadnezzar looked in there and said, the fourth man looks like the Son of God. Duh, I guess so. Okay, that's a Christophany. Christophanies were all the time in the Old Testament. I believe the cloud by day and the fire by night 
was a Christophany. The, the, the rock that followed them in the wilderness was called Christ. Okay? So Jesus appeared in pre-incarnate form many times in the Old Testament. So the, the question is, was Melchizedek a Christophany? Because what did Hebrews mean when it said he has no beginning, no end, and no genealogy? Okay? So that's one thought. The second thought is this. He was a regular guy, regular human being. He was the priest of Salem, as we're told. And the only reason Hebrews tells us that he's without genealogy, without beginning or end, is because we have no record of what it was. So we can't track him. Okay? So because we don't have any record, written record of who his descendants were, then it's simply said of him, he has no beginning, he has no end. It's not necessarily saying he was deity, an angel or Christ himself, but just we don't have a record. Now, where do I lean? I lean on we don't have a record because it tells us too many other things about him. When you have a Christophany in the Bible, um, it is an appearance that doesn't last long. But if he was king of Salem, then you're saying that Jesus in, in a Christophany was the king of Salem for some long period of time. And I don't believe that he was. He wasn't the king of Salem. This man was a literal king of Salem. And so I believe that Hebrews says that about him because we just don't know who his descendants were. So that makes him kind of like deity. It, he, so he's a type and a shadow of deity, but he's not. Now that's where I land. You can land anywhere you want and still be saved. It, it's, it's not a deal breaker, okay? But that's the thought, and that's where I lean. Does that help? Okay. Anyone else? You got one. Right on the front row. This is scary. He's got a Bible open. Okay. It's in uh, Romans um, 8 and 28. That, Wait, uh, Romans 8 28? Yes, sir. Okay. And, and we know that all things work together for the good for those who are called. Um, those who are called. Put the, put the mic up. Called for the love of God. For those who are called according to his purpose. For whom he he foreknew, he predestined. Foreknew. He predestined. He conformed to the image of his son, and that he he might be firstborn among many brethren. My my question is, is that he foreknew? So if we as believers know that life begins in uh, at conception. So what does he mean by foreknew? Well, he knew foreknew. He foreknew. As we may have been spiritual beings that he foreknew prior to? No. 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 Uh, Let me me answer it because this is, um, you're getting into um, heavy duty, deeper theological material when you start using buzzwords like foreknew, predestined, chosen, uh, uh, elect. These are the, 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 the theological buzzwords that have been debated for centuries since the Bible was written. But, but let me answer this. 
when it says he foreknew, it doesn't mean that we were spirits that existed before we were ever conceived. In other words, when we were conceived, then our spirit that already existed was given a place to go to. That's Mormonism. And you got to be careful there. Because that's not it. When you're conceived, you receive a soul. Same time. I believe aborted babies are short-circuited into eternity. Okay? But when it says he foreknew, he's, he's not saying he predestined you to be saved while not predestining somebody else. Because Calvinists and Calvinism contends that those that are saved were predestined to be saved by irresistible grace, grace that can't be resisted. Who can resist the grace of God? Who can resist God if he decides you're going to be saved? Okay? So he, those who he foreknew. He's talking about those that he knew would come to Christ. Those that he knew were going to be saved. But in knowing that, he didn't predetermine it. Because when you get into, here's a couple of big words, determinism and fatalism, in theological lingo, that's where you get into Calvinism. And that is, God determines that some are going to be saved. And if he picks you, you're in. Irresistibly. If he doesn't pick you, you're out. Irretrievably. Okay? I don't think that that's true at all. I don't believe it's telling us that because he foreknew, he predetermined it. We, I just want to make that distinction. Okay, now let me go into another arena real quickly. There's another um, false theology out there that's gaining a lot of steam, and it's called open theism. Now, open theism contends God doesn't know the future. God does not fully know the future. That he's learning as he goes in a lot of things like us. Oh, you'd be surprised the people that are teaching this. I could name names. But it's open theism. Now, open theism, I mean, I'm talking about major mega educated people that are professors in seminaries, but that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything anymore. But open theism says that there are times when God says, Shazam. Okay? I didn't know. Here's what they teach. God doesn't know every move you're going to make. That, that he, he realizes things and learns some things as he goes along. And there are people who teach that all the time. Now, that de-deifies God. Let me tell you the way salvation worked. Here, picture a big door right here. And on the front of the door it says, whosoever will, let him come. Now I'm cooking along and I'm lost as a goose in a hailstorm and I see this. Whosoever will, let him come. It's not God's will that any should perish, but all will come to the knowledge of the truth. So I see this. Whosoever will, let him come. I get convicted. And I go, well, I want Jesus. So I say, Jesus, forgive me. And I turn the doorknob. And the door opens, and I walk through, and I close it. 
I turn around, and the door says something else on the other side. I knew you were coming all the time. All right? God doesn't say, well, look there, Jesus. Did you know he was coming? I didn't know he was coming. Wow, think about that. Good, good, good thing you died on the cross. No. 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 He says, I knew you were coming all the time. That's foreknowledge. Okay? Um, now, there's a lot of people on earth that are shocked you came, but God's not one of them. <laughs> yeah. Ask my mother, who still can't believe, you know. Anyway, uh, one more question real quick. Any more? We're getting into some deep stuff, but it's good stuff because I want you to understand what's going on out there. Um, anybody else? Okay. Up. Oh. One way over there. Going back to Romans, I want to ask the question where Jesus um, was explaining, well, I mean, I'm sorry, where Paul was explaining to the people about um, Malachi. And the question is, when they were saying about the law, that law was changed. Was that was changed instant, or how long did that take? The that law. the law was changed? Yeah, when, when Jesus came to the earth. When Jesus came to the earth and he was saying that we was a free, free, salvation is free. The Mosaic law. So how long did that take for when Jesus came for the Jews to change, you know, the law? So did Jesus did the change at that time, or how long did it take? At that time, for that law to change when he was here. Okay, well, earth. Jesus didn't change it. He fulfilled it. Okay. He fulfilled the law. And um, the Jews have never to this day changed it. They, That's my they, question. They yes. adhere to it. Okay. Um, but Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. He didn't come and do away with the law. There's other teachers out there, very popular, who say, we don't need the Old Testament anymore. Old Testament's not relevant anymore. You don't need it. Get rid of it. Major teachers. If I named a name, you would know it. But I'm not going to because that's not what I'm about. But uh, they, they say you need to get rid of the Old Testament. It doesn't matter anymore. But that's crazy from a hundred different directions. Because the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed. The New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. Uh, you know, the Old Testament is filled with uh, truth and stuff. The only thing we're not under anymore is the Mosaic Law. Okay, we're not under the Mosaic Law. We're under the Law of Grace. And that's another whole message, and I could take questions all night, but I hope that helps. And let's stand up together. Amen. How many of you glad you came to church tonight? Praise the Lord. Now, say with me, I'm not an open theist. Say with me, God wasn't shocked when I got saved even though my mama was. Okay, let's just lift our hands. Lord, thank you. Bless the people of God tonight. Lord, how we need your word, how we need your peace, how we need your truth. Thank you, Lord, for the power of God that is in the gospel. And thank you, Lord, that we're in a brand new kingdom, brand new kingdom, and we're no longer under Satan's jurisdiction. Thank you for it, Lord.